And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman. Joined as always by my colleague from the Athletic, Stuart Mandel. We are taping Sunday morning. You are still in Oregon where... You got to see a, a, a terrific performance by the Ducks beating what was an undefeated UCLA team in a top 10 matchup. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into another dud showing by Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. Uh, good game in the ACC we'll talk about and a bunch of other things related to how the playoff race is starting to take shape as well as my trip to see Ohio State in person when they just absolutely crushed Iowa. Stu, let's, uh, you're still in Oregon, correct? Yes, I'm in Salem, Oregon, to be specific, because that was the closest. It's an hour away. That was the closest I could find a hotel room. Bruce, it was it was cool to be back at Autzen. I think it's one of the um, more, more just a great setting for college football, and I hadn't been. I figured out I hadn't. I'd been here for off-season trips, but I hadn't been here for a game since Mark Helfrich was the coach, if you can believe that. Um, it backfired on me a little bit, though, because, you know, obviously I, I need to try to see as much college football as possible for the final thoughts column. And as you know, you don't, if you're at a game, like I'm trying to watch, um, especially once my game got, got out of hand, I'm trying to watch LSU Ole Miss on my computer and the Wi-Fi is going out um, and then got stuck in terrible traffic on the way home. But the story of Oregon-UCLA, obviously, to me, is you know if you've spent three years watching Bo Nix at Auburn, and even if you know you know remember that first game against Georgia, which was so bad, like that guy is on fire. Uh, UCLA, it's not like UCLA's defense was playing poorly coming into this game; they could not stop him. He threw five touchdowns. He that's his second five touchdown game of the year, which puts him in some elite company in Oregon history. Marcus Mariota and Justin Herbert, the only others to do that. I mean, I don't think either of us are surprised Oregon won. Were you surprised they kicked UCLA's butt like that? Uh, I was not surprised they won. I picked them to win in our picks, but I thought it would be closer. I really thought ultimately that that Oregon's offense wouldn't play as well as it did, right? I mean, felt like UCLA was moving the ball, but they were getting field goals instead of touchdowns, whereas there was just a lot of big plays. And and to me, and I mentioned this on, on Twitter this morning um i think the most impressive thing i've seen you know statistically all year is what oregon has done up front they have only allowed one sack in seven games and what is crazy about that not only is that by far the best in the country but if you go back to last year like the teams that usually lead the country in college football and fewest sacks allowed are usually like army or and one of the academy schools where they barely throw the ball mm-hmm. and this is a team that is averaging 33 passes a game Whereas Army, which led the country and allowed seven sacks, was obviously a lot more than than one for the seven games. It only throws eight passes a game. 
And Jeff Schwartz, a former Oregon offensive lineman who does, a, you know, who's on the Joe Moore Award Committee and does a lot of studying, really one of the few people who's in the media who really either A, pays attention to O-line play and B, really knows what to look for. But he pointed out even the one sack they allowed wasn't really a sack on the O-line because it was a free rusher that got by. So Adrian Clem was one of the pretty big name assistants uh, Dan Lanning had hired when he put together his staff and that's been a great hire. I mean, Adrian Clem was known as a recruiter for the most part then went to the Steelers. He's done a really good job. I thought, look, credit to Lanning and Tosh Lupoy on defense. Those are guys who also were known as big recruiters and Kelly, Kenny Dillingham did a good job as a play caller. I think it's, um, I, I, I will stop it here. Cause you saw them in person. As we talked about Bo Nix 2.0 has been terrific. I thought it was interesting Bonix 2.0, much better in the Pac-12 than he was in the SEC. We'll get to this in a little bit, probably later, but Jaden Daniels at LSU, much better in the SEC than he was in the Pac-12. I know. I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, I wrote about um, Bonix a lot in the uh, final thoughts today. And, of course, you're getting the, well, I don't think he's a different at all because I saw him against Georgia. And it's like, you know, Georgia makes a lot of quarterbacks look bad. I, I don't think that's a fair measuring stick and i also don't buy that every pac-12 defense he's faced so far is terrible by any means um he's just much more comfortable in this system kenny dillingham's a very aggressive play caller by the way the key play of the whole game was they got up 17 10 it was clear already this was going to be a track meet they got up 17 10 and dan lanning does the onside kick and it works and it you know swung the game because at that point ucla is playing catch up because they scored another touchdown um well, you mentioned the offensive line. As we know, what's Mario Cristobal's point of emphasis? Who, who was, what was he loading up on in recruiting when he was still at Oregon? So, you know, you knew he was not leaving the covered bear. But, you know, I think what's cool for Oregon fans, you know, Mario Cristobal won games there. He went, won two Pac-12 championships, and they never, he never really won them over because Oregon, going back to even going back to before Chip, I think a central part of their identity, I would say going back to Joey Harrington, a central part of their identity is they have exciting offenses. And whereas Mario was trying to win kind of old school, physical, um, you know, they've never forgiven him for not making the playoff with Justin Herbert. So, I mean, the place was rocking and they're so excited, not just because they're winning, because they've got this offense that scored um, 40, at least 41 points every game since the Georgia game. Uh, It'll be interesting here down the stretch because obviously they're now alone in first in the Pac-12. They're in the playoff hunt. USC is still in the playoff hunt. UCLA is still in the playoff hunt, although that was obviously a big setback. And the question now becomes, if Oregon ends up being that team, can a team make the playoff with a loss? So, like, not just a loss, a 49-3 to loss on its resume. On the one hand... The committee in the past has left teams out for that exact reason, like Ohio State the year they got clobbered by Purdue. On the other hand, it was the first game of the season, and I'm a big believer that you have to give teams credit for getting better. They're not the same team in week one that they are in week uh, 13. They're going to need a lot of help, I think, is the reality, because you're sitting there. And, and to me, the game of the day turned out to be the, the noon game of Syracuse against Clemson. 
And Clemson ended up winning. It was noteworthy, though, that Cade Klubnik was summoned to, to come in relief and help the Tigers win that game. I mean, I think Clemson is looking at the easiest path to be undefeated if they can manage it, and then they would be in. Um, it's a lock that, uh, that you're going to have at least one team from the Big Ten and the SEC, but there's a decent chance you, you may get two from the SEC right now, I think. And uh, TCU is 7-0. and And TCU is still undefeated, right? Yeah. And look, I, I would say TCU keeps winning – they're the only. I feel like they're the only team in the in the in the Big Twelve that has a realistic shot. I mean, would Oklahoma State, if they're if they're a one loss team, have you know, if they beat beat TCU back in the title game? I just think it's a. There's going to be a lot of people in line for them. They need. They're going to need a lot of help in the SEC. I think because also what could happen, um, especially you know, if Michigan beats Illinois and then loses at Ohio State. Uh, Michigan would be 11 and one at that point. And, uh, you know, their non-conference schedule is not great, but I just think unless they get really blown out of the building in Columbus, um, you know, they're going to be, you know, like Michigan and Tennessee are in interesting spots, even if they, even if they end up at 11 and one, because I just feel like they're going to be looked at on a notch above what everybody in the pack 12 and what would happen unless TCU runs the table. I just don't think that the committee is going to give them enough credit. And so you're looking at maybe them getting capped at like maybe the sixth spot as opposed to the fourth spot. You agree? Well, you're doing that thing that people do where they just think there'll be absolutely no upsets down the street. Everybody will be oh, who they're yeah, supposed to be. You have to and, play with that. I mean, yeah. because like, if, I'll if, tell you right now, there will not be, we will not get to the last day and you'll have an undefeated Clemson and undefeated TCU an undefeated SEC champ and an undefeated Big Ten champ. I don't That's think just we'll not have, realistic. I don't think you will have an undefeated TCU. I think you. I think there's a pretty good chance you're gonna have an undefeated Big Ten champ. Right. I think that's probably. Well, I'll say Clemson going undefeated might be the most likely thing of all that. But then I followed quite closely by an undefeated Big Ten champ. It's possible that the SEC knocks each other off. Um, the SEC champ's gonna get in, but. Give me a percent chance right now. Is it over 40, 40% that there's two SEC teams in? Yes, I believe so. Um, because they're also already, I mean, what are they, three of the top six right now? Like they're already also highly regarded and they're going to get a chance. I also think what we see is a diluted version of the rest of the, now look, Texas A&M, who's pretty Ooh, bad, boy, gave Alabama all it could handle. But just looking at it, it just feels like after watching like I don't like LSU is LSU's solid. I don't think LSU is a is a really really dangerous team. They they whipped Ole Miss though, and Ole Miss was sitting there, uh, you know, in the top ten, so and undefeated at that point. So I guess any you know towards your point, anything can happen. I just think as we get further in, I'd be really surprised if somebody upset Georgia. That's not of that ilk. I really. Would, yeah, and when I say of that ilk, I mean there's really three teams. I don't think when I look at Georgia, and again, this could easily, you know, blow up in my face. I just think that all right, you look at what they have left. You know, at Mississippi State's not an easy place to play, especially if it's coming at right after Tennessee. I mean, they have for, you know, formidable teams now left. Like Florida, I don't think Florida's good enough to beat them unless Anthony Richardson, you know, turns into Superman. You know, then you got you got Tennessee. They're they're 
they're a problem. Like Tennessee would, you know, if they at this point if they beat them, that wouldn't shock me now. And right. then you got Mississippi State and that Kentucky, which are both on the road games. Like that's not that is a tough road they have. It is. It's not. It's not a, a cakewalk by any means, and it's not like, I mean, Georgia did have a close game already against Missouri. So, but look, I I think, you know, I, I'm not. I like, I mean, what TCU is doing is pretty incredible. Um, twice in two weeks in a row, they've been down 17 points and come back to win. And Max Duggan should be um, in everybody's Heisman top three. That, that offense is incredible. There is a weird quirk to TCU's season so far, though. Three of their four Big 12 games, this other team's starting quarterback has been knocked out. Uh, and yesterday, Adrian Martinez got hurt i think nobody really knows what happened after the first series of the game so they're catching a little bit of a, a, a breaks there um because i don't know how good their defense is i'm gonna suggest they're not gonna finish undefeated they could finish 12 and 1 i think in the pack 12 if you're telling me who has the best chance they have three one loss teams who has the chance the best chance of getting in if they run the table i think would actually be usc because they don't have an eyesore loss like like Georgia does. But as USC, who we've seen not play as well when they go on the road, um, going to run the table. Like, I think some of these conferences, I guess what I'm saying is some of these conferences will end up with two lost champs, and that's where you start getting into multiple SEC teams, maybe multiple Big Ten teams. Yeah, and then that's where it gets gets interesting. I, let's, I don't know if you had a chance to watch much of Clemson-Syracuse. I did actually. Good game, you know. Really impressed. I, just from talking to people inside the ACC, they really respect Tony White, the defensive coordinator at Syracuse. Um, the more people you talk to, the more I think he has been a vital addition for Dino Babers. And you know, like Syracuse lost, and I hate to say it like this, Syracuse lost. But I think if you watch the game, you're like, they deserve a lot of respect. Well, they did not get any help from the officials in that game. Uh, a crucial play was a third and Clemson was stuck in third and 25 and, and Syracuse got called for a late hit out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, questionable pass interference on the hail It wasn't a hail Mary, but a deep, deep throw. So you got that. Then you got some questionable late game use and not use of the timeout. Like to be honest, Syracuse should have won the game. The combination of their own mistakes and some bad, I don't want to say bad, some unlucky officiating did them in. Um, and you're right. Like I came away really impressed with them, but Clemson gets the W and now there's going to be like this mini quarterback controversy. Cause DJ, who looks so good, um, you know, coming into this game so much better than last year, kind of reverted to 2021, had three turnovers. Dabo benched him. Cade Klubnik came in. They come back to win. They were down 21 seven, but Cade Klubnik attempted four passes and he's not the reason they came back and won. They ran the ball. So, Dabo was very adamant, you know, made it clear right off the bat post game. DJ still our guy. Cade Klubnik himself said DJ still our guy. But it's not a controversy yet. I think it would be a controversy if DJ goes back out. They play Notre Dame in a couple of weeks. If he goes back out there and coughs it up three more times. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I was in Columbus. I kind of went in, you know, Mich- uh, Ohio State was a 29 and a half point favorite. You kind of felt it was going to go in that direction right out of the gate. Um, right really? Now. Even though Iowa jumped off for the defensive touchdown? Well, before that, they, you know, like they jumped off with a with an interception, like on the game's first play, or essentially. I want to ask you, so I, I will ask you in a second what you thought of Ohio State in person, but I'm so curious. What is it like to watch that Iowa offense in person? It's painful, right? <laughs> because you're sitting there and just, you know, Brian Ferentz is the is the quarterback coach as well. And the line struggled because it was up against better talent. And it just seemed like they're not going to get any help at all. Like they just you know, you, you sit there and you watch them go, all right, now I know why two of Purdue's best players transferred to Purdue to flee Iowa, you know, in that offense. And, you know, it's like you sit there and, you know, take two steps back and you talk to people, you know, you know, around football. And it's like short of, and Kirk Ferentz has been a fantastic head coach for Iowa, but short of him deciding to retire or step down at some point, you're like, what is it going to take for them? to turn the page on this because it's only i i really feel like it's only going to get worse because once you have like a guy like charlie jones who was so underutilized in the offense go to leave leave to go to purdue and become basically an all-american receiver then all of a sudden you're you have other receivers going why would you go there if you're going to be so under underutilized in the offense and you know you got one side of the ball that is so well respected on defense and then you got the other side of the ball, which is just like, you know, it's it's kind of confounding in a way. I mean, they're three and four right now. Um, they, you know, just in terms of the quarterback play, I don't know if they just have not developed it or the, there's just I think it's more than one thing. And I, I you know, for an for an Iowa fan. I just think it's got to be so disheartening because they're such a loyal fan base and they, the team plays hard, but they seem like they have such a short stick they're playing with in that regard. Um, you know, I, I felt like they were doing everything they could and they were down like it was like 26 to 10 at halftime. You're like, there's no way they're going to come back from this. Um, yeah, there was an amazing Max had a stat, Max Olson. Basically, like if you if you were to just look at the box score, you would be like, "Oh, Iowa held Ohio State to 368 yards," but it was because they kept giving them short field because they can't move the ball. Iowa fans finally got their wish. By the way, they wanted to bench Spencer Petrus, and the, and they brought in Padilla, and he he was no better. I mean, look, they're playing Ohio State. I what else do you expect? I guess, but um, also credit to Dave Revson, our friend. He was on the podcast recently. 
uh, read the stat that Ohio State is the first Big Ten team since 1903, since fielding Yost in 1903 to score 45 plus in six straight games. You saw the buck. You got to see the Buckeyes up close. Um, I assume you're going to tell me as advertised. Yeah, I mean, there was some parts where it would look like C.J. Stroud. You know, first of all, let me let me take two steps back. You know, talk, like talking to NFL scouts who were there as and they were scouting C.J. Stroud in part, um, and and also being you know being around conversations where Ohio State coaches are talking about C.J. Stroud to to uh, NFL scouts in pregame. You get a really good window. I mean, they really think the world of him in terms of the intangibles. You know, he's really accurate and he's got good size. Certainly he's bigger than, you know, Bryce Young. Um, but the parts that they they really gush about are just how smart he is, how well he sees the field, how he picks up on things. And all those things are great. And I thought really for the, for the first, I don't know, hour and a half of the day, he was okay. I didn't, I was like, okay, he's just not like, it wasn't like a wow performance. And then there was a drive where he had three passes in a row, especially the last two were like, yeah, that's the stuff. That's the wow stuff where it's the pinpoint accuracy and just, you know, it was there and look, Jackson Smith and Jigba tried to go and you know, they, he really didn't have the big impact, but they have so much talent, skill talent and it's a big offensive line and, and everything is just like they're a, they were my team to win the, play, the w- prediction to win the national title and nothing I saw from them. Like, I don't think this was their best performance, but like give credit to Iowa. Like there were times where CS Stroud had to throw the ball and the receivers were pretty well covered and he still completed it, you know? So I, I it's not, a, it's, it's not a easy defense to play against. You know what you're getting, but they're still executed really well and they're talented. So I am still believing that, you know, I like my pick of them to win the national title. Let's say that. Well, that's that's, I mean, not not surprising, but you've just spent the last four weeks gushing over Michigan. So you saw Michigan several times. You saw Ohio State, and you're thinking Ohio State. Yeah, here's why, Stu, because I have more confidence that C.J. Stroud can hit plays downfield. We haven't really seen J.J. do that once they got in the Big Ten. That you know, they run the heck out of the ball. Their offensive line is really good. Their offensive line may be even better than Ohio State's, which I think is really good. Um, and I think they're much improved. You know, I would say they're much improved on the D line is probably not fair because I think they're much better than people expected they would be given who they lost, right? So I think there's that. I just feel like if there's a difference, A, the game is in Columbus and that is an advantage. And B, I just think we've seen C.J. Stroud take shots downfield. I think Michigan has a very good receiving core. I think Ohio State, and I, I try not to use this word very often, but I think Ohio State has a great rec- receiving core. And I think that's, the, that's why I think there's a, the, the edge to Ohio State. If this game was in Ann Arbor, I'd probably be a tougher call for me, and there's still time. I and mean, look, we're going to get Ohio State this weekend again in a much different place now it's not gonna be a whiteout but it's penn state and that's not an easy place to play well i think that it you know you're right i mean if if all else is equal it is in columbus and it's hard to believe but this will be the first ohio state mission game in columbus since the 62 39 game in 2018 because the 2020 game got wiped out so um it's interesting that we could be i mean 
I would say more likely than not at this point that we get 11 and 0 Ohio State versus 11 and 0 Michigan. Though, as I said earlier, teams can get upset. Michigan has to play the Illini at one point. Ohio State going on the road to Penn State, and it's just it doesn't feel like that's domi- a dominating storyline in college football this year the way you would normally think it is um, because of of you know I think the um, the, the three way race at the top of the SEC. Um, we'll see, you know, November 5th, by the way, so LSU beats Ole Miss yesterday and frankly, LSU clobbering Ole Miss is not something I saw coming and certainly not after they fell behind 14, nothing. Um, Brian Kelly's team has gotten a lot better over the course of the season. And because of that in two weeks, you're going to have a double header. I don't know which order it will be of, well, I think I do. because I think I know what the CBS game will be Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, Alabama, that is a heck of a doubleheader. Yeah. I mean, look, I think the Georgia Tennessee one is the main course. I'm, I I think LSU is playing very well. I think Jaden Daniels is playing really well. You know, I feel like, and you and I both were kind of of this mind a little bit that we were a little hesitant on Ole Miss because they hadn't played anybody, you know, and I think they were exposed uh, yesterday, to be honest. So, but look, I mean, LSU definitely has talent. There are guys that, you know, there's no Mason Smith in the D line, but they're still, they have edge rushers. I mean, Harold Perkins is a, is a dynamic athlete. BJ O'Jalary is a really dynamic athlete. They have, they have explosive receivers. I mean, you know, we, and they have a deep receiving core, you know, I, I think, you know, now that Butte has got it rolling again a little bit, I think we see some playmakers and look, Jaden Daniels is a, really experienced dual threat quarterback and he's playing at a high level. I mean, I just, you know, he came on, I want to say maybe in the second half of Florida state. And I feel like he's been really, really good. You know, I mean, that was a heck of an addition for them. He had a rough game against Tennessee, but since then he's had two exceptional performances. And I was thinking about it. Brian Kelly winning his coach in the history of Notre Dame played in a national championship game, played in two playoffs. I don't think he ever had a quarterback playing at the level Jaden Daniels is. Um, I mean, he had the Deshaun Kaiser year, but. Trying to remember, was it Tony Pike, his quarterback? I may be getting. Yeah, it might, it might, he might be the best quarterback he's had since, since Tony Pike at Cincinnati. I mean, he basically made his living with guys like Ian book and Jack Cohn. If you want to go back to Everett Golson, but they weren't, I mean, they weren't doing what the, you know, both through the run and the pass, what Jaden Daniels is doing. So um, it's, 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 we couldn't have worked out much better. I, honestly, at the time that that got announced, I was a little puzzled why that was where Jaden Daniels picked because they had a pretty deep quarterback room already. Um, but he has clearly staked his claim. He had a couple he got off to a promising start at ASU in 2019 and then didn't do much the next two years. But, wow, you're seeing him at his absolute best right now. By the way, Stu, uh, things I did yeah. not expect to do on a Sunday morning, Google Tony Pike college stats. But he probably is about 29 touchdowns, six picks in that 2009 season. You know, he was really good as a senior. And I looked up Deshaun Kaiser last night because, remember, he was a pretty – high NFL draft pick relatively. I think he was a second round pick. Um, 
he at the time was considered a pretty big star. And now I'm looking at it. And in 2019, 2015, he threw for 2,880 yards, 62.9%, 21 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That's actually not that, that's not incredible by any means. Um, there's a lot of great quarterbacks in college football this year. Uh, I don't know that Jane Daniels is considered a Heisman contender, but you know, certainly playing at a very high level. You know who's not playing at a very high level, Bruce? Uh, somebody playing in College Station, I'm guessing you're going to say. Yeah. So, and I feel like we've hit the hit on this quite a few times already on this podcast, so I don't want to belabor the point, but goodness, they are, the Aggies are awful. Uh, they can't be losing to South Carolina. Now, credit to Shane Beamer. They're uh, five and two. I definitely think he has exceeded expectations there um, in his second year. Um, they also lost Haynes King, AM did during the game, but I don't think that would have mattered. I mean, they're, I listened to a little of uh, Andy and Ari's podcast before we started, and they, they actually watched the whole game. Uh, I didn't see any of the game, but um, they, the, the way they were describing their offense couldn't, couldn't have been much more stark. So um, here we are with Jimbo Fisher. He has now lost his last four games against unranked FBS opponents. He is two and six in the last eight against FBS opponents. Ouch. So. But there's he, nothing that can be done. No, I, I don't. 84 million. I mean. What, so if you're a Texas A&M fan, are you just going to go, well, hopefully he can get us to be a top 20, a top 15 team? I mean, because they, they really are not close to that now. Well, two years ago in the COVID season, I believe they finished number five in the country. Yeah. Uh, so right. it's not, that wasn't that far. You're not that far removed from that. You also just signed the greatest recruiting class in history. Yeah, but although, the, but the greatest our, recruiting class in the history could eat, and now it's a lot, I think it's going to be a lot harder to keep these classes to stay. That's, that's the point I was going to make. So it'll be interesting to see after this season, how many guys from that class say, Ooh, this is not a good situation. I'm out of here. Cause they're, if they're, you know, based on how they were ranked as recruits, they might be able to pick their spot. Um, but right now, yeah, I mean, A&M, you're hoping that most of that class stays intact and develops as, as advertised. Obviously, you hope Jimbo brings in a real offensive coordinator this offseason. I have to think he will. Can I throw um, some writings on the wall? Kind of crazy. You mentioned the 2020 COVID year. If you take that out, and I, I kind of hate doing this because it's like, yeah, if you take out that the guy had an 80-yard run, he only had like nine carries. Well, I think a lot of people but, treat that treat that as not a real season. But, but yeah. if you take it out, you know what Jimbo's record is in the SEC for the other four years? What's that? 14 and 14. That's a lot of money to go 500. I mean, you know, I've seen a bunch of people tweet this. His record at this point now is two games worse than Kevin Sumlin's was at the same stage. They paid him. They paid him as if he had just won them. And like they paid him as if he had already won a national championship at Texas A&M. You know, um, like Georgia is now paying Kirby Smart some insane amount, but he's he got it done. Um, Dabo, Saban. And then you've got Jimbo over here who's in that neighborhood and who has no buyout and it's not, it's not even remotely close. The, the extent to which these co coaching contracts have become more and more just completely one-sided um, is pretty amazing. I actually 
So um, just the other day, back when, back when, during that awful, you know, I think probably been the, might've been the day of the Red River game. I'm Googling like, what's Brent Venables buyout? Not that I think they're going to fire him this year by any means, but it's just a, it's a good number to know, right? Like we generally know the buyouts for most of the top coaches and I can't find it anywhere on Google. And I come to realize that they never released his contract. They, they like gave out the reporters like a summary of the contract, but they never gave out the full contract. So I FOIA it and the FOIA hit in my inbox on Friday, right as I landed here. So I, you know, take sit, sit, in, sit in, at one of the airport gates and I'm looking through it and guess what? Brent Venables, first time head coach, got a, he himself got a fully guaranteed $43.5 million contract. First time head coach who I don't know that anybody else was trying to hire him as their head coach at that time. Agent who was Brent Venable's agent on that? Jim Sexton, Jimmy Sexton. Who else has Jimmy Sexton done deals for? Jimbo Fisher, Jimbo Fisher, James Franklin, who got a fully guaranteed deal last year. Um, What's the recurring theme here? It's the most, you know, we both like Joe C. He's a, he's been a phenomenal ID for Oklahoma for 20 years. But he's negotiating against himself. And I think that, you know, I've tried to explain to people, I mean, the only the only time AD's names come up in the media is when they're hiring or firing a football coach, right? You know, you but, know who should get who should get a big cut of this deal? No, I don't. It's a guy struggling to play quarterback in New Orleans right now. Jameis Winston in his three years <laughs> with Jimbo Fisher. You know what Jimbo's record was in the ACC the three years Jameis was there? I think Jameis only played two years. Um, I thought He, he redshirted the first year. You know what? I think you are. Because I remember the dazzling debut against Pitt. You are right. Uh, it was yeah. 23 and 24. I'm sorry. It was 13 and 14. They didn't, they didn't lose a game until the no. semifinals. In, in, those two, in those two years right, that he played, mm-hmm. they were 16 and 0. In the three years after Jameis left, this is in the ACC, they were 14 and 10. It wasn't just in the ACC, Bruce. They won, I don't know the exact number, but you know they went undefeated in 2013, and then they went undefeated the next regular season, too. They had a, like a 27, 28-game winning streak until they you know, had that blowout loss to Oregon in the Rose Bowl. So, yes, you're saying Jimbo should maybe be giving Jameis a 10% cut? I mean, it's it's just kind of... I hate to say it's like, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy. I wonder when it feels a little like right now, when a guy is like this, when a head coach is like this in this climate, when it feels like they are circling the drain, do they ever get out and and flourish from there? I, I know it's happened, but... Well, I have a very recent example of that happening. Jim Harbaugh. You know, there there were, but let's let's you know, Jim Hart was a different coach than 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 uh, Jimbo Fisher. Yes, Jimbo Fisher won a national title, but like I feel like Jim Harbaugh largely was like he was a very polarizing figure. But I don't. Jim, feel... Jimbo's not. No, Jim, no, Jimbo certainly is, but I feel like Jim Harbaugh. You know, Jim Harbaugh won one more game, a lot more games than than. Uh, than Jimbo was doing it in, in, in college station. Jimbo but I thought, you, I thought you meant, you said circling the drain. I mean, it's easy to forget now that in, in, after the 2020 season. Well, my point on this too is I guess where I'm, 
like because you we talked a lot you talked a lot about the contract situation michigan could have gotten rid of jim harbaugh right jimbo is in a situation where it's much harder to untangle yourself from him right jim harbaugh basically bet on himself and knocked it out of the park last year and it seems to be doing it again this year right um whereas and it's not like all of a sudden he's, you know, the school is tied to him so much. In this case, the school is really tied to Jimbo. And that's, that's, I guess, what I mean. Yes, they are tied to him. You know, you just got to accept that. And then you got to hope that much like Harbaugh, where things got really bad there for a couple of years, and he made some staff changes and, and they worked out, you know, very well. Um, Brian Kelly had that one bad year at Notre Dame. Switch, you know, basically switched out his entire staff, and and they were very good the rest of his tenure there. So it can be done. You know, you can Brian, dig out of this. Brian Kelly had, like you said, had that one really bad year. Like this is really one good year. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I've completely misunderstood this 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 conversation. You're saying that because you were this far into his tenure and he's only really had one season yes. to show for it. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Well, I think you're just they're just going to have to look at it as a Harbaugh Kelly situation. Like firing is not an option. Um, but fire, so but just, firing Jim wasn't far like that's the difference, you know. Well, but, I'm saying that the ADs decided to stick with those coaches and it paid off. This is not a decision. They will be sticking with Jimbo. They have to. Like Jim Harbaugh. So you got to hope that he, you know, because he has that, you know, he's not going to have a hot seat thing hovering over him that he can make the changes he needs to make. And, um, but like you said, his, the problem is he just doesn't have that long, great a track record of, of being a hot, like they hired this guy to win a national championship. They gave him that plaque with the, with the, just fill in the date. And because he had won a national championship, I don't think they paid enough attention to what happened in Florida at Florida state after that national championship season it had definitely backslid and, you know, they still haven't fully recovered from that. So, yeah. Um, and as, as you said, I think what is a little different than maybe in the past is because they're so tied to him financially. We weren't seeing these kinds of deals, you know, before. And now you're seeing like, I still remember where I was when the Jimbo to, to A&M stuff, you know, hit, you know, like hit the, hit the next threshold. Like I was in, you know, I was in Texas for the, Big 12 title game was back when Baker Mayfield was at OU. And it was just like, wow, this is going to be way different. Um, I did. I thought it was going to go better than this, though. And at first, people treated other schools treated that thing as an outlier. Like, well, th those guys are crazy. Um, I remember Gene Smith said they were talking about a urban was still the coach. And they were talking about an extension for him. And when he was like, you know, we will pay him competitively, but we're not using that as a benchmark. That, that was an outlier. But, you know, now you're seeing Mel Tucker. I mean, God bless Mel Tucker. He's done less than Jimbo in his coaching career. And he got Jimbo money. You know, James Franklin got that kind of money coming off two bad seasons. Uh, it's just, as Andy Staples says, it's monopoly money to these guys. It really is. And I don't know if that, I don't know that that trend will ever reverse itself. In the, in, if anything, as these TV contracts get bigger and bigger, you'll just keep giving them more con huge contracts i just don't understand the, I, I, the buyout I, thing i really I think, don't yeah i think what's a little different again i mean james franklin had had a bunch of really good seasons at penn state 
you know, he he elevated that place. Mel Tucker had one great season, at least there. You know, whereas Jimbo was like, hey, you did great at Tallahassee. Come on over. Let's go. Let's go take down Saban, you know. And but I'm saying they doubled Penn State doubled down, maybe quadrupled down. On yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah. After his program had started to go in the wrong direction. Um, Mel Tucker got that deal. It wasn't even a season. It was like two thirds of the way through last season. I think, I think indirectly, indirectly, Scott Woodward, or somewhat directly, has changed the market. Scott Woodward gave Jimbo Fisher, you know, that you know, huge amount of money to come there. And then Scott Woodward was the big game hunter. And here you knew some people inside LSU who liked Mel Tucker because he'd been there, and Mel Tucker was a hot name. And so all of a sudden, Michigan State did not want to get outfoxed for them. So they went all in on him. So I think to some degree, you know, you have, you know, yes, it takes and Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker, Jimmy Sexton is not Mel Tucker's agent, just for clarity's sake. But I think, yes, the agents are, are driving this, but it also takes ADs to to play this game, too. And the ADs, this is why it's such a one sided situation. ADs are not master negotiators like Jimmy Sexton is, right? Jimmy Sexton's whole job is negotiating deals for his clients. Joe Castiglione's job, not to pick on Joe, uh, how about we'll use Scott Woodward, <laughs> um, spend 362 days a year fundraising, um, figuring out what the budget should be for the volleyball team that year, um, compliance, academics, and then once every three or four or five years, they have to negotiate a huge, enormous contract for a football coach. And it's just a completely one-sided dynamic uh, in those situations. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. Um, after we just spent all that time on, on A&M, there, you know, Texas is an interesting story too. Well, TC, start with TCU. I mean, you know, Sonny Dykes is – I've always liked Sonny Dykes. He – um, is great to deal with, uh, but it's you know it. It seems long ago, longer ago now than it was, but like less than a year ago, Gary Patterson was still TCU's coach, and it was somewhat controversial. Maybe not. Maybe somewhat is underselling it for them to fire a guy who they have a statue of outside of the stadium. Like you, TCU and Gary Patterson were one in the same for two decades. And, you know, they, they, they bring Sonny Dykes over from across town. And this is the, this is the best TCU has been since the Trevon Boykin days. Uh, 7-0, and and frankly, with a pretty manageable schedule from here because I think they just beat, in my opinion, the two other best teams in the conference in Oklahoma State and K-State. So uh, that, that is a storyline I did not see coming. Um, and then as I wrote about in final thoughts, like for all the, you know, Texas and Oklahoma carry the big 12 and they're going to the sec and da, 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 da. Like n- neither of them played in the title game last year. And I don't think either of them are going to play in the title game again this year. We already talked long about Oklahoma. Texas has now played two big 12 road games where they coughed up a double digit fourth quarter lead. Um, did so uh, Saturday against Oklahoma state, even though Bijan Robinson had a huge game, but Quinn Ewers threw three picks, and that'll do it for you. Um, you know, Texas Tech's actually playing pretty well. They're four and three. Baylor beat Kansas. Yeah, poor Kansas can't seem to get that sixth win. They're four and three. So, I mean, what I'm trying to say is the teams that are staying in the Big 12 are very, for the most part, very healthy right now. Yes. Uh, Stu, are you ready to do shout outs? Sure. Why not? Okay. I have two this week. So, why don't I start with the first one? Okay. Uh, on our first trip to Michigan this year, we actually stayed at a hotel by the airport and we were there at the same time the Buffalo Bulls were there. And so I ran into Mo Linguist. That's the head coach there. I know him a little bit. And I remember we talked the night before the game. They were staying at the same hotel to play Eastern Michigan. They started out 0-3. They had lost to Holy Cross, which is a good FCS program, but still it's never good to lose to an FCS program. And it was interesting to hear him talk. He was extremely, uh, I don't say he was extremely confident. He was confident, but I think he was extremely optimistic about what he thought they were about to do, you know, because he was like, yeah, we, we were at East, we were at coastal Carolina the week before and talked about some things that were, they were close on and ended up going the other way. And I just remember thinking this would be interesting to see what happens from them. Cause you know, Chris Creighton does a good job at Eastern Michigan. And I was like, this won't be easy for them. They're 0-3, you know, and he's the guy following Lance Leipold where I think expectations were going to be high. And you got this guy who was, um, was a rising star assistant, but now this is his first head coaching job. They went out and they smashed Eastern Michigan in a road game. 
And they've actually gone on a five-game win streak and just beat Toledo, who's the best team, uh, who was the best team in the MAC. So shout out uh, to uh, to Mo and the Bulls. He's basically, I want to say he's almost they've done everything he said he was going to do that night. Where I was like, I was honestly kind of skeptical, you know, at that point. And everything they've done, everything he said, you know, his his kind of spirit has carried through. So shout out to uh, shout out to Buffalo. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um... You know, I live out near Stanford and got to know Mike Bloomgren pretty well uh, when he was the OC there. He's been at Rice, believe it or not, for five years now and been a very low, slow, slow climb. They've yet to make a bowl, but uh, beat Louisiana Tech 43-42 in overtime. Uh, they are now 4-3. and three. They are playing a 1-7 and seven Charlotte team that just fired their coach this week. So I think they'll probably get to 5-3, and three, getting real close to win number six. That would be a big breakthrough for Mike Bloomgren and the Owls. Okay, my other shout-out is also to a group of five, and it is John Sumrall, the new coach at Troy. I've gotten to know him over the years. Uh, really good talker. I mean, he's a good recruiter. I could see why he connected with people. He was a – I thought he was one of the better hires of last year's cycle. Um, he'd been at Kentucky. He went back to Troy and he lost his first game. It was at Ole Miss. It wasn't like they got blown out, so that wasn't a bad loss. And they lost um, in his next FBS game at App State, but they lost close. Since then, they have won five in a row. They're six and two. They just beat South Alabama, who's was really the, um, you know one of the best teams in a really good Sun Belt. So uh, we're going to give a shout out to the Troy Trojans. One more for me. I almost said blast from the past, but that's not really fair. Hugh Freeze, um, you know, he had the great year at Ole Miss. Two, I mean, well, he had the great year at Liberty two years ago with Malik Willis. Um, they slipped back a little bit last year. Well, the Flames are back, Bruce. They're seven and one. Their only loss was by one point to Wake Forest, and yesterday they smacked BYU forty-one to fourteen. Um, and they were did it without a bunch of key players, too. Yes. All right. Well, uh, we will see you guys later this week. Send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.